Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Man, we are in difficult times, aren't we? You know, there's a migration away from the church, particularly amongst young millennials, but African-Americans. Young African-Americans are migrating away from the church. So there's this mass exodus, like young blacks are out. I don't know if, how many of you guys know that, maybe of the older generation, yeah. but the young blacks, I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking statistically, yeah. we're out. Like we're, as soon as we're able to, we're leaving church. And we're either migrating to black religions because black religions are really attractive to us now. Um, and a large part of why black religions are attractive to us. Now, some of you may not know what I mean by black religion. There's some religions that are unique to the African-American context. So there's a religion called the Hebrew Israelites. Um, they, they're, they've been around for a long time, but there's been a resurgence um, since, you know, there's, since this age of consciousness and wokeness, they've really been able to thrive within, you know, they've really been able to thrive and draw a lot of people to their religion. So they're called the Hebrew Israelites. Uh, there's another group called the Kemets. They're Kemet scientists or Egyptologists. Egyptologists pretty much just, they, they, all, of, all of these religions basically go back to Africa, which Egypt is a part of Africa. I don't know if you knew that, but it is. It's, a lot of, some Egyptians won't claim that, but it is actually a part of Africa. So Egyptians are African. So Egyptology is just, basically they believe that all things originated in Egypt, even what we thought to be our Christian stories. In other words, what they'll say to us is, your Christian stories came from Egypt. As a matter of fact, your Christian stories are copies of something that had already been uh, of, of, of ancient Near Eastern or Egyptian mythology that predates your stories by four to 5,000 years. So you don't have original stories. They had, that had already been done, and then y'all just copied and pasted and made it your own. So with that, there are a lot of black people that are buying into that heavy. So there's this mass exodus away from the church amongst blacks. Okay. There's also a mass exodus away from the church amongst blacks because it's not Christianity is not deemed as intellectual or smart enough. In other words, what we believe is fairy tale. You know, for people that only come to church on Easter and Christmas and that all they hear about is baby Jesus and angels and a lot of fantastical things. You know, a lot of the stuff that you typically find in fiction, <laughs> the kind of stuff that you typically see in an Avengers movie is the stuff that's that we're finding in the Bible. That's what they're primarily being exposed to. So it comes across as fictitious to them. 
They don't understand the historicity, the historicity, the historicity of the scriptures, the historical credibility, the archaeological credibility, because because they're primarily exposed to the narratives that have a lot of what appears to be fictitious things going on in them. Christianity is deemed as fiction, no different than myths. And so it's see, it's viewed as not smart enough, not scientific enough, not intellectual enough. And so your many of your college students are migrating away from Christianity and even away from religion as a whole. This is important for us to know. Because if we think that it is as it's always been, we're going to have a hard time. Like we're, everybody's going to be shocked when we're completely emptied out. When the church is completely emptied out. I personally went through seasons in my own life where I've wrestled with these very things. I struggled with, wait, is my faith, is my faith no different than the myths of Horus and Osiris? What's the difference if, wait, when I'm looking at the story or the deluge stories, all these stories about a, a universal flood that came before, that were written before, 1,500 years, 3,000 years, 5,000 years before the biblical account. Oh, what am I to do with that? That's real. When I look at the story of Pandora's box, again, which is about a serpent and a flower, not a fruit, not fruit, but a flower, but the same outcome, same ideas, all the same principles, same concepts. But wait, the story of Pandora's box is a myth that predates Christianity by X amount of years, 1,500, what am I to do with that? When I look at the creation story, but I read this, uh, the Elisha Enuma, which is the Babylonian text that was, that was understood to basically be, that was the, it was the creation, it was the Babylonian's version of the creation story, Elisha Enuma. It reads much different. It's not Elohim. It's not God. It's the gods. And the gods came together very differently, but that's their version of the creation story. But again, it's written before. So, do we have a unique text? Uh-oh. It's quiet. And tight. And some of you don't like that I'm saying this. It feels blasphemous almost. All I'm laying before you is what the challenges are. I personally had been shaken by them. That's how I, this is why it's important. This is why it's important for me to put, to keep, to put this in front of you. Because I personally had to wrestle with this along the way in my Christian journey. I personally had went through a season of God. I don't know what to believe. What am I to do with this information? And the problem today is that all you got to do is click YouTube. And it's all, this is all their faith. Pastors are walking away for this stuff. Churches are, are bringing Hebrew Israelites in to pastor their churches now. I'm trying to tell you this is a real thing. It's actually happening, whether you know it or not. Your young person, your niece, your nephew, your grandson that hates church, they probably are drawn to either something black, if they're black, some black religion, or nothing at all, which is a different category that sociologists have, uh, uh, have recently 
uh, classified a new group of people called the nuns. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, like in Catholicism, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns are a group of people that don't have any theological affiliation. In other words, they don't affiliate with anything, any religion, any organized religion, any theological, they don't have any theological framework that they're working from. They do, they just don't know it. But they don't claim to have any association or affiliation with any religious or theological framework. Now, what makes them different than an atheist is the fact that they all grew up in church. See, this is what I'm trying to stress today. What I'm stressing today is not just all random facts about what's going on out there. Every person that I'm, every type of person that I'm mentioning right now all grew up in church. The person who migrates to Hebrew Israelites grew up in church. The pastors that converted, all, obviously, he pastored a church. The Hebrew Israelites are coming into the church. The people that are becoming nuns, statistically, they grew up in church. Do we have a faith that is informed enough to withstand? Jesus. Do we have a faith that is informed enough to withstand the, the blow, like the punch, the hit? Because it's a storm, ladies and gentlemen. It's a storm and it's taken us. It's taken, if you live, in a, if you live in, in a certain space where you're not seeing it, I'm here today to make you aware. This is what the Bible says about the sons of Issachar. It says that their unique ability in the list of, of others who had really, really unique abilities, their unique ability was that they understood the times and knew what to do in light of them. What I'm here to do today is inform you, make you aware that there is a storm. And it is taking young African-American Christians away from God. Do we have the faith that is informed enough? See, faith that is informed is not, see, we have the wrong, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is rightly defining faith. Because we oftentimes believe on the basis of, if you ask most Christians what they believe, they can tell you. Most of them, most Christians, especially if they've been in church for any significant amount of time, they can tell you without a doubt what they believe. If you ask those same Christians why they believe, they can't. Most of us know what we believe. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, rose on the third day. Most of us can rattle off the gospel. Most of us can rattle. We've been no, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We, most of us can rattle off what we believe, but why you believe, that's, the, that's where the rubber meets the road. See, what you believe is actually easy. Why you believe is more important than what you believe. Because why tells you that the, the why is what has informed your belief. It's what informed your faith. See, we think of that faith is blind. That's the world at large. The world at large believes that Christians believe blindly. And then we prove them right almost every time. <laughs> 
whenever confronted by people of other faiths, whenever confronted by people of other religions, we end up proving them absolutely right. Because they believe what you believe, you only believe it because you grew up in church. What you believe, you only believe it because that's what your mama taught you. What you believe, you only believe it because that's what the bishop told you. What you believe, you only believe. And guess what? We get into a conversation with them because all they do is study to prove that, to prove that point, that you don't know what you believe. And we get into and we engage in dialogue with them. And guess what their takeaway is? Exactly. And just as we thought. An uninformed faith. Faith is not blind. There is, there is, I'm sorry, this is actually not my message, but I feel this is important for me to say this morning. Faith is not blind. There is an old Indian adage about an elephant and some blind men. This is actually, oh, listen, I, I want y'all to, please understand this, guys. Sorry, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Please understand this. This is taught at the collegiate level in your philosophy class. I need you to understand, true, I'm not just up here today just trying, like you pulling on obscure, obscure ideas and facts. This is the stuff that any college you go to today, in your philosophy class, you are going to learn this. <laughs> it's this thing called religious pluralism, which basically says that all religions are equal, that every religion is equal, that all of them are equally as valid. And they pull on this old Indian adage of an elephant and some blind men. The, the story basically goes that there's an elephant and some blind men, they ask the blind men. The blind men are feeling on the elephant. The blind men end up ta telling, talking about, explaining what they feel, okay? One of them feels the trunk of the elephant and says, oh, this is a snake. I know, <laughs> yeah, this is a snake. Another feels the leg of the elephant says, oh yeah, this is a tree trunk. Another feels the side of the elephant, says, oh, this is a wall. Another feels the tusk of the element in a elephant, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And they feel and they feel and they grope and they, and they arrive at a conclusion about what this actually is, right? Well, the goal of this particular story is to prove that no one religion has a corner on, on religious truth. See? All of them felt different parts of the elephant and arrived at different conclusions. That's where we are today. You see, well, I got, because some of us know Muslims that are amazing, amazing people, givers, philanthropic in their efforts, nice, kind. It's like Islam is the new black. You got to have one in every movie. One in every, it's, it's the, we're, we've, we're now, we're, we're, we're now in a space in our culture where a lot of Muslims are not just embraced, but esteemed. They're, they're, they're part, they're part, if you're watching CNN or anything, they are part of the, they're being woven into the fabric of culture and society. Right. We, I know some very cool. I know some good Muslims, some kind Muslims, some kind Hindus, some kind Buddhists, great people. 
devoted, sincere. This is where we get tr- stuck. We, I, I know some that are doing better than me in some areas. Certain areas of character that I look at in myself and then I look at them like they're killing. That's why Jesus says the wicked are more shrewd than the sons of light. It's possible that the world or the wicked people of other faiths can actually outdo us in certain areas. So much so that when we look at them, we say to ourselves, I don't know if there's anything but so wrong with what they believe. Are we being too judgmental? Oh, God, talk. Listen, are we being too judgmental? These are the questions, the queries of the heart, the stuff we ask ourselves. Who are we to say that God won't honor their sincere faith? Isn't this the stuff that we say to ourselves if we're honest? Who are we to say that these are not people who have a relationship with God just in their own way? This is what the, the, in, the old Indian adage is trying to prove to us. It's trying to show us that, listen, everybody has their own way of arriving at truth, at religious truth. Everybody has their own way of understanding who God is. And nobody, not one of these religions, has the right or the authority to say that another one is wrong. But there's something wrong with this adage. The first problem with the old Indian adage is what? The men were blind. <laughs> so naturally, they would not arrive at the same conclusion, the right conclusion. They were blind. The second problem with the old Indian adage is what? The second problem is that it does not mention one person. One person is actually missing because there were six men groping on the elephant, but there's one person that's not mentioned in the story. Who was that? The seventh. The seventh is the observer. In other words, the person telling the story. Because the one person that can actually tell you that this is an elephant is the one who's telling the story. In other words, there is a way to determine what this is. This is actually is not a wall that actually is his side. That's actually not a trunk. It actually is his leg. It actually is not a snake. That's actually his trunk. And there is a way to know that. See, what I'm trying to say to you is what people want to do today is they want to discredit any, they want to discredit any exclusivity. They want, especially with Christians, because we are probably the most exclusive out of all the religions. Hindus and Buddhists are not exclusive. Christians are ultra, ultra exclusive. We're the ones who say only Jesus is the way. That doesn't fly in our context. Faith is not, the men were blind in the story, but faith is not. As a matter of fact, faith is just the opposite. Faith is just the opposite. Faith is evidence-based. We don't think about it this way. Faith is not, first of all, faith is not a te- faith is not a Christian term. Just like church is not a Christian term. Faith is not a Christian term. Church is not a Christian term. Church is the word ecclesia, predates Christianity. It's pre-Christian. 
It was used to describe a gathering. We all, they all came together for anything. It could have been judicial purposes. It could have been for a party. Anything was ecclesia, just the gathering of. It was the gathering of selected ones, called out ones. Do you understand? You got a, you got a special invitation and then you all gather together. That's literally what church is. It's not a Christian term. Faith is not a Christian term. Faith is a secular term. It's a secular word. It's a secular word, and faith is evidence-based. It is not going where evidence is not. <laughs> Listen, we got to get this. Faith is not going where evidence is not. See, when we think of faith, we think of it in this very ethereal way. We think of it in a very kind of esoteric, out there in space kind of way. When we think of belief, we think of it in an esoteric kind of way. But and when you talk about it in the world, let's just say if you use it in worldly terms, you never think about it that way. If I say I have faith in PD, that's a moral issue. In other words, what I'm saying is there's something about his character. There's something about his character that, that, that invokes a level of confidence for me to place in him. Do you understand? If I say I have faith in my president, I'm not talking about Trump. I'm just saying in general. If I say I have faith in my president, there's something about him. See, faith is only as effective as the object in which it's placed. You see, if I say I have faith, it's faith in something, but faith is not blind. There are two words you there are two words used in the scriptures for the word faith. There's the word nomizo. Nomizo is a word that literally means to believe on the basis of tradition, law, or custom. That's what faith is. Old Testament, old, old classical Greeks, not even necessarily Old Testament. Old classical Greeks use this term to describe faith. Faith was the word, the word for faith is the word nomizo, which literally means to believe on the basis of custom, law, tradition. That's us. That's us, nomizo. This was typically the kind of faith that the Jewish people would sneer upon because of the con its content. Its content was tradition, was passed down to us. What mama told us, what grandmama told us, that was the word, that was what the word faith was used for, nomizo. That's typically American Christianity. That's American belief, American faith. But then there's another word, and I love this one. There's another word used with, uh, for amongst the New Te in the New Testament for faith, and it is the word pistus, P-I-S-T-U-S. The word pistus literally means to believe on the basis of evidence. See, Christianity is the only belief system where you believe on the basis of evidence. It's the only belief system where you believe on the basis of something historical. It's the only belief system where it's root. Listen, when you think about every other religion, there is not one organized religion in this world that is rooted in anything empirically proven or historically grounded. Not one. Joseph C. Smith, he has a whole bunch. He has a personal vision about plates that were glowing and on those plates were, were certain things that were inscribed by angels. Okay, that was his experience. He translated that into a text and that's how we ended up with Mormonism. 
the Jehovah's Witness, or Islam. Islam is, is, is Muhammad in a cave over a span of somewhere between 10 and 23 years having a personal private revelation comes out of the cave and says, this is what the angel Gabriel gave me, personal. There's no way to verify it. There's no way for us to confirm that that's true. Whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, which they don't, some, Buddhism doesn't even claim to be a religion. Whatever the religious system might be, Christianity is the only one that, where we have something that is that tangible, something measurable, something objective, and it's been since the beginning. Watch this. That's what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 says, see, God has always understood the need for investigation. He's always understood that there would be a need for evidence. You see, people ask the question, why didn't Jesus just say, I am God? Because Jesus, in his wisdom, understood that people are more prone to embrace truth when they are forced to be investigative and arrive at their own conclusions. See, had he just come and said, I am God, nobody would have believed him because he was the son of a carpenter. That was the big problem. Remember, he kept saying, if you don't believe my works, believe my words. You don't believe my words, believe my works. I'm performing miracles. Y'all still don't believe me. See, it wouldn't have been enough for Jesus to say, I am God. What Jesus did, though, instead is he left breadcrumbs. See, that's pistis. What Jesus did was he left a trail. That's what Jesus did. In other words, Jesus said, follow the evidence and go where it leads you. This is what you got to love about Christianity. Christianity is go where the evidence takes you. See, that's a good investigation. See, if you come in with biases, naturally, you'll pick the wrong person at the end. If you're an investigator and you come in already thinking this guy did it, guess where you'll end up? That guy did it. When you come in with biases, that's what happens. But when you come into it, oh my God, listen, if you come into it and just say, let me go where the evidence takes me. Let me just go where it leads me. See, this is what God did because he understands the human need for evidence. See, Romans 1 lays this out plainly. Romans 1 simply says, for all the things that are visible (laughs) were made by something invisible. Watch this. We know that it's true for everything that we have on our body, every watch that we wear. We don't have no idea who made it, where it came from. We have no idea how we got the cool signature if it's a timepiece and not just a watch from the kiosk. We have no idea. I have no idea who made this sweater or these jeans. I don't know where they are. I don't know how to find them. I don't know what factory. I don't know what they look like. But I do understand. But I do understand that there is a uniform system. Oh, my God. God, there's a uniform system. What I understand is that if there's something physical that I can see, even if I didn't see the person who made it, I know it's safe to assume that they exist. God said the things that are visible, the things that are made, have been made by someone. He says, and these things are intended, watch this, to draw you to myself. That's what the Bible says. He says, these things have been intended to drill you in, to pull you in, to draw you close. So all of creation, 
all of nature. God says the heavens and the earth, woo, the stars and the moon, the creeping things and relationships, your conscious even, your, your conscious, your intellect, your reason. The Bible says intuition and intellect come from him. Every animal in the animal kingdom, the ecosystem, the Bible says I use, I did that on purpose to pull you to myself. I did that on purpose to reel you in. Because what happens is I might buy a nice piece of clothing and guess what I'll do? If I care enough, I'll go Google the name. I'll go Google. I'll try to Google to find out who did it. I'll try to figure out. Listen, if it's Versace, I want to know what he looked like. So I might Google it. See, the purpose is if, see, if, the, if the brand is hot enough, if the clothes are nice enough, I'll probably end up Googling just to see what you look like. Oh, my God. Listen, this is what God did with creation. He said, I know the people. People I mean, that made need evidence. So what I did, what I did was I rigged it so that they would have breadcrumbs, Woo! something to draw them, evidence, pistas, so that their faith would be founded in the evidence. Faith would be founded in the proof, the evidence, pistas, to believe on the basis of evidence. Stay to believe on the basis of evidence. This is what Christianity is. This, this word pistis is the word that was used in the book of Acts when Paul stands before King Agrippa. He stands before King Agrippa and King Agrippa says, I was almost persuaded. In other words, you almost got me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Paul goes through his, Paul kills, you know, Paul was a beast. He was an attorney. That boy was a beast. He stood before King Agrippa. He gave King Agrippa the gospel and he gave it to him in a way that he knew would connect with King Agrippa. Paul knew how to, Paul knew how to navigate based, now he, he knew how to navigate the gospel based on who he was talking to. Paul was brilliant in that way. He knew exactly, just like Jesus, if, it's a, if I'm talking to a farmer, I know how to angle it. I know how to angle the gospel in a way that will connect with him, in a way that I'll talk agriculture. If I'm talking to a businessman, I'll talk corporate. I'll talk, if I'm talking to an attorney, I'll talk law. If I'm talking to, Jesus and Paul had this wisdom about them where they knew how to connect with who they were talking to. Paul stands before King Agrippa and he says, he lays the gospel out in such a way that who could deny that this is true? And the Bible says, King Agrippa said to Paul while he sat on his throne, I almost believed you. The word for believed there is the word pistis. What was he saying? What King Agrippa was saying was based on all the evidence you just laid out. I was almost convinced. He says, based on all the evidence you just laid out, you almost got me. <laughs> See, at that point, it's just about hardness of heart. Yeah. See, at that point, it's like, wait a minute. I don't, there's no holes here. <laughs> I have no argument left. Yeah. This is true, yeah. but I don't want it. <laughs> See, Christians have to get to the place where we can lay it out. The Bible says, always be ready to give an answer. <laughs> Stay with me. For the hope that lies within you. God's people, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are we ready to give an answer? I don't think I have all the answers. I don't claim to have all the answers. But are we striving to be prepared when we are engaged to engage with people who know their stuff? 
They're wrong, but they know their stuff. Pistis. Breadcrumbs. The Jesus comes. And this question even surrounding the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. I heard one guy say, his name is Brother Polite. He hates all religion, but he's huge, black guy. And he said, smart guy too, really, really smart, but wrong. <laughs> hey, mama. <laughs> well, we know that. He said, I went to Israel and got testimonies from the Jews that Jesus never existed. You look at, the, you look at how many views he gets on this stuff. 128,000, 300,000 views or just him spatting stuff like this out. Stuff like, yeah, I went to Israel, talked to a bunch of Jews and they said, nah, we don't even know a Jesus that ever existed here. During this time where, where we celebrated the birth of Christ, how many naysayers were on YouTube discounting Christianity, saying it never happened? If it happened, it didn't happen like this. It's just a myth. Come on, y'all, come on. It's just a myth. This is just fiction. What's the difference between this and that? How much of that did we get during the holiday season? But you know what I love? Christianity's evidence-based. Watch this. And God will not be left without a witness, even if, it's God, even if it's his enemies. Stay with me. I got you. God will not be left without a witness, PD. Woo! Even if it's his enemies. Watch this. Because during the life of Jesus, there were contemporaries that existed. In other words, his peers or people that lived during the same time that might have been in power. These were individuals that were, that had no love for Jesus, did not like Jesus, did not like his disciples, yet they documented his life. Josephus was one. Josephus was a historian. Most people know that. Many people know that. He was a Jewish historian. What's fascinating about Josephus to me, though, it's not just the fact that he was a Jewish historian. He was a non-believer. Okay, that's fascinating, but this is what's even more fascinating. He grew up in a household where he became, he, he was grandfathered into the, Pharise the Pharisaic order. <laughs> Pharisees were the enemies of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, they were the enemies of Jesus. So you had a Pharisee, trusted, a trusted historical writer who was a Pharisee and documented the life of Jesus and wrote good stuff about him. This question as to some of the stuff that he wrote, people have questions about, well, did he write the stuff that was divine? That doesn't matter. What matters is if we're just talking about the existence of Jesus, we have people outside of the Bible who would not have been in favor of Christ documenting his life. Thallus, another one. Thallus was another individual. He wrote the book of the third histories. Thallus, in his book of the third histories, he says 
that on the day, oh, stay with me, Dallas was an enemy of Christians, did not like Christians, hated, in fact, Christians. Dallas wrote, on the, on the day that Jesus died, the earth went black. Watch this. Watch this. He says, but never mind any supernatural significance. Don't try to pour supernatural significance into that event. Watch the goal. Watch this. His goal was to undermine any supernatural significance. Think about it. Jesus dies and the world. Oh, my God. Jesus dies and the world goes black. Oh, my God. Watch this. Just try to picture this. The moment that Jesus died, the, 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 the Bible says that the world went black. That's insane. As the world, Romans 8, the Bible tells us that creation groans. Oh, my God. Creation groaned. It's as if creation wet. Creation shut down in that moment. At the point of Christ's death, Phallus writes, the earth went black, the world went black, but don't worry about it. It was just a solar eclipse. Impossible. Could not have been a solar eclipse because of the time in which Jesus would have been crucified. He would have been crucified during Passover, a time in which there would never have been a solar eclipse. But you know what Phallus does? Phallus confirms what Matthew said. <laughs> oh, my God. See, in his effort to undermine the fact that something significant happened in that moment, he doesn't even know he's affirming the Bible. He's affirming the historical credibility of the Bible. He's standing on the outside as an enemy. Who said Jesus doesn't exist? Come on, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> This is the space we got to get to. This is the ever Christianity is evidence-based. It's we know there was a literal physical. See, this is what no other religion can do. No other religion can give you anything solid or concrete. If they tell me that Allah loves me, which by, which by the way, by the way, in Islam, they are not allowed to say that Allah is love. That is deemed as blasphemous. One of the distinguishing marks. See, we think it's the same God. It's not. The very nature and the character of their God versus our God is diametrically opposed. You cannot say that Allah is love. You can say Allah is loving. You can say Allah is merciful. You cannot say Allah is love. Christianity says God is. Oh my God. Christianity said, but God is. It's the essence of his being. It's who he is at the core. He can't be anything but. So everything that comes from him, oh my God, comes from that space. God is love. But in no other religion can you find anything concrete. If you tell me Allah is love, I say, how do we know? I say, how do we know he's love? If you tell me God is love, we have an expression of that love that's concrete. <laughs> For God so loved that he. 
something solid that we can point to. See, every other God, I can't tell you how I know these attributes that they keep telling me about are true. Allah is merciful. How can I know that? Allah is gracious, but how can I know that? Allah is kind, but how can I know that? Allah is just, well, how can I know that? If you say God is just, how do I know that? The cross tells me. <laughs> oh my God. The cross is the highest expression of God's justice. <laughs> That's what the cross is. What Jesus dying on the cross, the Bible says in, in Colossians chapter 2, that when they looked at the cross, that nailed to the cross was a list. <laughs> you got to stay with me, y'all. That each side on the, listen, when criminals were executed, on each side of the criminal was a list. <laughs> what was the list? It was a list that, set, that told everybody what they were up there for. Oh my God. Watch this. Every criminal that was on a cross, because remember, Jesus is just one of many that are being executed. Everybody else that's up there, it's up there with lists and inscriptions, an inscription above their head carved into the wood, and a list on each side of them to indicate what they had done wrong. Oh my God. Watch this. If they were insurrectors, it was on the list. If they were murderers, it was on the list. If they were, uh, if they were uh, adulterers, it was on the list. If they were robbers, it was on the list. If they were st swindlers, it was on the list. So whenever you looked at the cross, you saw, you saw this list that helped you just in case you felt like Johnny was such a good guy. I don't know how he ended up up there. All you got to do is look at the list. <laughs> Because we be, because that's how we think. Jay-Z said in one of his songs, Bob was a good dude, Lord, let him in. That's because we think people, people that are morally good should make it into heaven. People that we think are pretty good people, we think they should make it into heaven. We can't understand God not being kind enough to let your grand, grandmama into heaven. Don't nobody's grandmom go to hell. Do that. Don't nobody's, nobody's, nobody's grandmother goes to hell. No, no. Uh, <laughs> right. We don't like, right. We don't like, right. But that's what hell is. Hell is justice. Watch, but let's get into it. But, but, but here, the list was right there. So you knew justice was being served. That's what that indicated. That list indicated justice was being. In other words, that was a reason, even though if you, you might have felt like that, but I, liked, I really liked Johnny. He was a good dude. But, but you know, after looking at the list, but he did deserve that, though. By God's standard of righteousness and justice, he did. By the standard of the Roman government's law, he did. By the standard of Jewish law, I liked him but he did deserve it. So the question is, Jesus is hanging between two thieves. No, 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 let's go. No, 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 no. Next to him, the two thieves got list. Watch this. They got their list. Robert, whatever it is, whatever they did, wilding. That's it, just put, that's what they could put. Just wilding. 
Just, <laughs> just wilding. And everybody knows what that means. <laughs> Some people that list too long, just wilding. <laughs> Two thieves next to him. One who says, remember me in paradise. The, one, the other who completely continues to not honor him as Messiah. So the question that everybody who was there had to ask was, if these two are up here with their list, we understand theirs. But what's he doing there? Amen. <laughs> this is so good. I understand why he's up there. And I understand why he's up there. But what is he doing there? Watch this. He actually had a list too. Watch the shoulder. Watch this. He had a list too. It just wasn't his. My God. It was ours. Watch this. Adultery. Fornication, all on his list. <laughs> oh my God. Idolater, all on his list. <laughs> oh my God. All on his list. All on his list. Just wilding. Just, just wilding. All on his list, but it wasn't his. You tell me what other religion will prove justice. What other religion will, I know what you said, but prove it. Evidence-based. His existence. Evidence-based. The expression of his character. Evidence-based. The resurrection. <laughs> evidence-based. Non-Christian scholars say that there's a 97% chance the resurrection happened. Mm, wow. Non-Christian scholars, books this thick, their conclusion after intense research is that there's a 97% chance that the resurrection actually happened. Christianity is evidence-based. We do not believe blindly. Our Faith is rooted in something solid. Our faith is rooted in something concrete. Our faith is rooted in something historically substantiated. Our faith is rooted in something. Therefore, we can be confident. <laughs> See, this is where the confidence lies. It's not just in this thing out there somewhere. Our confidence is not based on this thing out there. It's rooted in something that's on the ground. It's rooted in creation. Even though I don't see you, your thumbprint is everywhere. <laughs> your fingerprints. You left too much evidence for me to not believe. <laughs> you left too much behind. For me to not believe if I walk into this church, if we all walk into this building 200 years from now, let's just say we have to evacuate it right now. There's a poisonous gas. I'm not saying this, God forbid. <laughs> There's a poisonous gas. We got to all get out right now. 200 years from now, your children's children come in this building. 
What will they assume? People were here. I don't see them. <laughs> they long gone. Somebody was here. And given what I see, there had to be some level of intelligence. I make this statement. God left something behind. You see a snowman in the snow as you drive by with a corncob pipe and a button nose and two eyes made out of coal with a scarf and a top hat. You don't assume, as evolution teaches, that the wind and the snow just random time plus matter plus chance just all form symmetrically, <laughs> symmetrically uniformed circles and dressed the snowman. No, you assume intelligence was here. We start with creation. God says, you look at my stuff and you, it only makes sense for you to arrive at the conclusion. Somebody intelligent had to be responsible for this. Too much order and design. We start there. If you can't start anywhere else, let's start here. Breadcrumbs, Hansel and Gretel. He's trying to get you to the house. <laughs> and so, I think I'm done. But this is what I want to leave you with. As we go into 2019, may we have a faith that is informed. May we have a robust faith, educated faith, intelligent faith, no more, none of this, like, I just believe because, <laughs> like, I just believe, I don't know about you, I just, now granted, I understand, that's a season, we should all have that season that I, I can't tell you is that I just know I was blind, but now I see. Well, that was early. That's the, the Bible. When the Bible tells us that story, he was blind. He saw he couldn't give you a lot of answers. People believed on the basis of Samaritan woman. Same thing. I met a man, told me everything. But blah, blah, blah. again, because it's not all intelligent. Some of us, that's a different. You got to bring me back for the other part. But <laughs> it's not just intellect. There are other four. There are four other components of belief. But it, for right now, I just want to focus on because I know that this is our challenge. I know many of us get, we get, we get, we get, we get uh, washed away because we just don't know. We just don't know. When the Samaritan and the, but we can't live there. We can't live there. I mean, I can't tell you nothing. All I can tell you is I once was blind, but we can't live. We can't stay there forever. And I'm not saying every single Christian has to be the most scholarly. What I am saying is the Bible commands us, mandates us to be prepared to give an yeah. answer yeah. for what's inside of us. Amen. When you read through the book of Acts. When you read through the Gospels, you see a lot of language. Jesus was preaching. You see a lot of that. Jesus was proclaiming. You see a lot of that. When you read through the book of Acts, you see, and Paul reasoned. <laughs> and he disputed with them. And he argued. The language changes. 
The conversation, now your faith is conversational. See, we think of our faith as something you just get on a bullhorn and preach out. Faith should be conversational. We should be able to exchange ideas surrounding these issues. As we go into 2019, may we all, including myself, may we all inform our faith. May we all dive deeper, go further. You know why you're bored with Christianity? Oh my God, talk. You know why you're bored? You're not investigative enough. You don't ask enough questions. You read the Bible and you read stories you already know. And there's over 2,000 years of a gap between us and the time in which it was written and we ask no questions. The Bible says that even when the Apostle Paul spoke when he was in Berea, that when he left, the Bible says that they went behind him and searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true. We don't have that going on. Whatever tele-evangelist said it, we believe it. They got a big enough platform and they said it, we believe it. The Bible says they went behind them, not in a cynical way. In other words, they wanted it to be true. But they went behind them, the Bible says, to research the scriptures and determine whether or not what they have been taught was true. You know why we're bored? We're not investigating. We're not digging. That's why we're bored. So God, in 2019, let's pray. Give us a hunger. God, in 2019, we pray. Eyes, heads bowed, eyes closed. We pray in 2019. Pray this with me in your heart. God, we pray in 2019, give us a hunger, including me. I am the man. I'm guilty of not being hungry enough, not being thirsty enough. It's easy, God, to just start feeling stale. Lord Jesus, routine. It all just, even the worship team. Lord God, preachers, leaders, you start feeling stale too. Jesus. You too feel stagnant. Just going through the motions. Because that's, that's your job. God help us, no real power. We don't have no real power. We're not plugged in. We're not going no deeper than Sunday school. And Sunday school, Jesus don't translate into the 40 year old life. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sunday school, Jesus don't translate into college. We gotta grow. The only way we can grow up, though, is if we grow deep. <laughs> oh, my God. The only way we can grow up is if we go deep. Jesus, the Bible says that 
God called Ezekiel. <laughs> he called him into the water. First, the water was on his ankles. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord said, come deeper. <laughs> oh, my God. Then it was up to his waist. And the angel of the Lord said, follow me, come deeper. <laughs> the Bible says he got to a place in the water where he was totally submerged. <laughs> oh, my God. God, help us in 2019 to get submerged. <laughs> oh, my God. Help us to go back to old habits, the good ones, the good disciplines where we used to wake up early to spend time with you. <laughs> help us to go back to the discipline, God, of prayer. Help us to go back to the discipline of worship. Help us to go back to the discipline. God, help us not to fast from our phones. Whatever distractions and idols are populating in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, God, that you would uproot, God. In the name of Jesus, God, that we would tear them down, God. In the name of Jesus, by your grace, by your power, Lord God. Help us to delete whatever apps are getting us in trouble. God, anything that's getting in the way, God, in the name of Jesus, God. Anything that's getting in the way from us going deeper, God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. Tear it down. Tear it down, God. Every relationship that's in the way. Whatever phone numbers are in the way. In the name of Jesus. Whatever sites, porn sites, God. Whatever we're watching, God, that's in the way. <laughs> Whatever's clogging us up, God. God, whatever is hindering us, any hindrances, every weight, God, that's every weight, Lord God, that's dragging us down, God. Help us in the name of Jesus to lay it aside. <laughs> ah, help us to lay aside every weight so we can run, God. Woo! In the name of Jesus. So that we can run so as to run as so as to win the prize. Because there's a way to lose. To beat as if you're fighting the wind. Ah, every leader in this room. I know God is speaking up in here. Every leader in this room. And all the stuff that's in the way uprooted. Whenever there was a reform or revival in Israel, it started with tearing down idols. It started with all the Israelites. God said, go in and tear down all the cedar groves, all the high places. Tear them down. Yes. Clear it out. Clear it out. God, I speak to myself. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper. Get rooted. Be rooted and established in the most holy faith. In the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Glory to your name. In the name of Jesus. Freedom, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Freedom, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. For freedom, wherewith the Son has set us free. In the name of Jesus. Help us, God, to get free. All of us who are free, help us to stay free. In the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, for freedom. I pray for freedom from whatever binds us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Loose us in the name of Jesus. And then they help us to find the disciplines to stay free. In the name of Jesus, we have a tendency to go back to what we know, God. In the name of, to go back to our comfort sins, God. In the name of Jesus, especially when we're in leadership. Especially we've been, we've been walking with God for a minute. And we start to feel like we owe ourselves some pleasures that are illegitimate. God, in the name of Jesus, may we be free. In the name of Jesus, God. Woo, help us to stay free, God. 
Help us to stay free. Help us to stay free, God. Help us to stay free. Help us to stay free, God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Help us to stay free in the name of Jesus, Lord. In the name of Jesus. You're glorified when we stay free. In the name of Jesus. Jesus is honored when we stay free, God. In the name of Jesus. Help us, God, to keep in mind the bigger picture. The thing that's bigger than us that'll keep us free. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Help us, God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That the little ones, God, in the name of Jesus, that their attention would be drawn to you. God, that fun is an idol when you're a kid. Whoo! Fun is an idol when you're a kid. I pray in the name of Jesus that the life, that they would, that that they would continue to have fun with Christ at the center. That Christ would be first, seek first. I pray for every parent in here that they would raise their children in the name of Jesus to honor you even in their youth. That they would not think that they're overdoing it or they're talking over their heads, God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God. To raise them up, God, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, God. In the name of Jesus, God, every parent, God, every grandparent, God. Grandparenting is not just the time where you give kids taffies and ice cream. It's the time, like Eunice and Lois, you raise them up in the scriptures. In the name of God, talk up in here. In the name of Jesus. 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 Be free, stay free, and go deeper. In Jesus' name. And just sit there. I'm done, but just sit there and talk to your God. Just sit there. Let us talk to our God. Come, let us talk to our God. Open your mouth. Come on, let us talk to our God. Come, let us talk to our God in the name of Jesus. Talk, talk, open your mouth. Men, open your mouth. Men, open your mouth. Women naturally talk. Men, open your mouth and talk to your God. Talk to your God. Talk to the Lord who saved you. Talk to the Lord who calls for more. We don't need more of him. He's calling for more of us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That concludes this week's message. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200. Or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His word. God bless you.